There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. When I was a teacher of yoga in 1970 at four universities in Florida, I often quoted Bible passages to support my New Age beliefs. Last week, I addressed the statement that Jesus made in Matthew 6, 22. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. I used that verse to try and persuade others that Jesus believed in the chakras and specifically that he promoted the idea of the third eye. If you listened to last week's episode, you know that I responded to that point of view with a very sound biblical stance. In a similar manner, I often quoted Luke 17 verses 20 and 21 to try and convince others that Jesus taught the kingdom of God was internally accessible to every person in this world, that the kingdom of God resided within every man and within every woman. Now, here's the Bible passage where that seems to be stated, but there are three verses that follow it that help adjust the way we interpret this passage. Now, when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, He answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of the one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. That's the passage that contains our key statement, indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, did Jesus mean that every single human being has this spiritual kingdom residing within them? Well, before I answer that question, first, let me ask another question. What did the Pharisees expect to see? They thought the Messiah would be a military leader a strategist, a genius on the battlefield that would raise up an army of Jews to oppose the Romans that had dominated Israel for a lengthy period of time. They wanted their country back, and they wanted a Messiah that would fight, that would rout the Romans from their control and run them out of Israel. So Jesus did not fit that description. And they were always trying to put these puzzle pieces together that didn't fit. 
And that's why they came to him and said, when is the kingdom of God going to appear? And Jesus said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Watch that key word, observation, because the word observation means to watch something over a protracted period of time. In other words, he was saying, you're not going to be able to watch the kingdom of God advance city by city, region by region in Israel until the nation belongs to the Jews again. He never said it would not be a visible manifestation because he ended that passage by describing his second coming. And he said that as the lightning flashes out of the one part under heaven and it shines to the other part under heaven, so shall the Son of Man be in his day. And that is the ultimate manifestation of the kingdom of God in this world. That's when it will be fully permeated with kingdom influence and the nature, the attributes of the kingdom will saturate the atmosphere in the world and this corrupt world will be turned into an Eden-like paradise again. So he did say when that ultimate expression of the kingdom of God comes, it will be a visible manifestation. But he said, you're not going to watch it with observation. In other words, initially, and this is the mystery of the matter, the kingdom of God is going to advance invisibly, heart by heart, life by life, as individuals are brought into the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God enters into them in a spiritual sense, then the kingdom will advance, but not with observation. The kingdom will advance supernaturally until there is a spilling over of the supernatural in such an intense and radical and dramatic way that every eye will see him when he returns and when he sets up his kingdom fully in this world. And that's when you and I, if we are blood washed, born again, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will reign with him over a messianic kingdom in this world. Now, the next question I need to ask is this, did Jesus actually mean that God's kingdom was within everyone, including the hearts of his opponents? Because these Pharisees came to entrap him and somehow prove him guilty of being a blasphemer and a heretic. So did Jesus look them right in the eye and say, behold, the kingdom of God is within you? Was he talking to these men who were full of hate and resistance against his claimed messiahship? No, I believe that he was speaking hypothetically. Just like if you meet someone who's very stressed out, and anxious all the time, and under a lot of pressure mentally and emotionally, but they're very hung up on material things, having the newest car, having the nicest home, having the latest fad in clothing, etc., etc. Then if I was going to counsel that person, I would say, behold, peace is not found in these external material things. Peace is within you. But that would not mean that at that moment that person actually possessed peace, but that when they experienced peace, it would be an internal acquisition. It would be something they lay hold to within the confines of their own heart.
No, Jesus was not declaring that these Pharisees, most of whom despised and rejected him, had the kingdom of God dwelling in them because, well, that just wouldn't fit if you balance out that statement with the rest of what Jesus taught on the kingdom. And that's my third question. Actually, that leads to the final of three questions I wanted to ask. Does the correct interpretation of this passage hinge on the rest of what the Bible teaches about the kingdom of God? Absolutely. Yes, it does. Because there are other scriptures that are very plain in showing that the kingdom of God was not yet in the world, much less in the hearts of people. For instance, when John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness, one of his main messages was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then when Jesus began to preach after having been baptized by John, he echoed the same sentiment. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That phrase at hand means it's soon to be acquired, it's soon to be encountered. It's near, it's close, it's about to manifest. He didn't say the kingdom of God is within you to begin with. He said it's at hand. Now I do need to deal with one particular issue that I think is very important because I'm using the terms kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven synonymously. Are these two the same? Yes, absolutely, they are the same. I've read many commentaries but people that I respect that promote the idea that the kingdom of heaven is like a compartment within the larger sphere of what is called the kingdom of God. But I believe it's talking about the same kingdom from two different perspectives. The kingdom of God, that's talking about the kingdom by referring to the one who rules over it. The kingdom of heaven is talking about the kingdom by referring to the place from which it is ruled. But it's the same kingdom. And the word kingdom simply means a king's domain. So what is in the kingdom? Whatever is submitted to the king's domain or under the sphere of the king's authority. Now, I'm sure someone would propose the idea that the whole world belongs to God, yes, but much of the world is in a state of resistance against God and rebellion against his oversight and his rule. But in the revelation of the New Testament, we find very clearly that the kingdom is not populated by everyone because, well, Jesus told his disciples, there be some standing here who will not taste of death until they see the kingdom of God come in power. When did that happen? If it was already within the hearts of everyone, why did he say such a thing? Because the kingdom of God did not fully explode in manifestation in this world until the day of Pentecost. Jesus rose from the dead, and the Bible said that for 40 days, he taught his disciples things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And then he ascended into heaven, and 10 days later, the disciples were gathered in the upper room, and there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be within a room with closed doors and windows, and suddenly you're engulfed in the sound of this 
rushing wind and you turn around and look and tongues of fire are appearing over everyone's heads. And then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, at that moment, they were born again and simultaneously baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of God came into them. Not only that, they entered the kingdom as the kingdom entered them. It's a two-way street. Jesus had told Nicodemus when he came to him by night, and he was a leader of the Jews, and he tended to believe what Jesus was preaching and doing and wanted clarification. So he came to Jesus under the cover of night, and, and Jesus told him in no uncertain terms, he said, you must be born again. And the word translated again there is the Greek word anathen that means from above. In fact, it's also translated from above in the New Testament. So if it was literally rendered, it would be, you must be born from above. So the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, fully manifested in the realm in which God dwells, which is the third heaven, was going to have an influence on earth when men and women could be born from above, when the nature of the kingdom, the power of the kingdom, the presence of the kingdom would enter into their hearts. It happens when you invite the king to come and sit on the throne of your soul and to rule your emotions and your intellect and your choices in life. The soul is made up of the mind and the will and the emotions. And when you say, Jesus, come in and have authority in me, the kingdom of God comes into you and you are born from above and you receive a new spirit. And the spirit part of your triune being is the part that experiences communion with God, revelation from God, and conscience. And see, when you're born from above, the kingdom of God enters into you and you're moved up to a new level of existence spiritually, where you become aware of another world, another sphere, another realm altogether. You live in two worlds simultaneously. I know that sounds a little strange to some people, but it's nothing else but wonderful. Because the Bible said, once you're saved, once you are delivered, once you are forgiven of your sin, once the Lord indwells your heart, you are seated together with Christ in heavenly places. That's in Ephesians chapter 2. In what kind of places? In heavenly places. The kingdom of heaven blends with your life so that you're simultaneously aware of the natural world through your five senses, but you're connected to a kingdom in your spirit, and your spirit floods your soul with this influence so that you become a much better person in so many areas if you yield to kingdom influence. Now, I love Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has made us meet. That's the King James Version. He's made us suitable to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. For he has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. 
Now, again, this is not something that everyone in the world has experienced, nor has the potential of experiencing, unless they go through the door. And Jesus said, I am the door. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But when you do come to Jesus, you're translated, and that word translated is a power word if there's ever been one. It means to be totally removed from one place to another in a moment of time. And the moment Jesus came into your heart, you're translated into a kingdom. And what is that kingdom all about? Well, Romans 14, 17 says the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not about the dietary rules of the Old Testament being kept that may give you better health, but it's not going to give you a spiritual experience. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so this peace is not an ordinary humanly attained peace. This joy is not an ordinary emotional joy that any human being can experience. It's righteousness not that can be attained by anyone striving to be a better person, but it's supernatural righteousness, supernatural peace, supernatural joy that is in the kingdom. And when the kingdom comes in you, when the Holy Spirit resides within you, these supernatural expressions of the righteousness of God, the peace of God, and the joy of God are not only accessible, but they are a part of who you are now. I love this scripture too. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. In other words, it's not just a new philosophy. It's not just a new kind of theological slant on things. It's not just something that can be expressed in words. It is power. It's dunamis. It's dynamite. It is transformational. It does something internally that will be a change that others will recognize as dramatic. When the kingdom of God came into me, I stopped teaching yoga immediately. I shut down my yoga ashram. I left that lifestyle. I went to live in a Christian mission in Central Florida. I was a completely changed person. I told all of my 300 plus yoga students that Jesus is the only way. You have to go through the cross. You have to go through the name of Jesus to be saved. Praise God. <laughs> Thank God I found that out. Thank God I discovered that the kingdom of God was not within me because if I'd gone on confessing that I already had it, I never would have found out I could receive it. Let me give you one last statement and then I'll end. Jesus' first beatitude of eight was blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is it to be poor in spirit? It's to recognize your bankruptcy on your own. Morally bankrupt, mentally bankrupt, emotionally bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt. That is the plight of the entire human race. But as long as we pridefully go on in our ego and defend our belief system or defend our religiousness in some area that is not of God and not biblical, we can't experience this. We have to humble down and say, I need Jesus. I need God. There's something missing in my life. I'm bankrupt without God's intervention. Then when you assume this posture of being poor in spirit, then you can enter the kingdom and the kingdom can enter you. 
No, Jesus was speaking hypothetically. He wasn't saying the kingdom of God was within his opponents. He was saying if they ever experienced it, they would experience it internally. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.